The Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. Stay informed and up to date. It's The Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned in to The Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. As usual, I'll be the host for your next, I'll be your host for the next hour, Kingsley Kipuri. Got quite a packed show lined up. We'll be talking about the ANC National General Council that happened this past weekend. Um, lots of talking points from there, including South Africa potentially drawing, withdrawing rather, from the ICC. Um, also some succession conversation. Could we possibly have a female president? Also talk about a wealth tax and still the ongoing debate about ETOs and what's going to happen with that. In addition, we'll be talking about the traditional and Khoisan leadership bill that came before a parliamentary commission a couple of weeks ago. And there's been a lot of back and forth about whether that's something that's actually good for the country. Or is it just entrenching some of the sort of apartheid era uh, Bantustan um, formations um, that we as a country are trying to move away from. So lots of lots of talking points. I'm joined in studio by Ranjani Munisami. Ranjani, welcome to the show. Hi, King. Good to be here again. We've had you twice in just a couple of weeks. We're, I know. We're doing something right. Yeah, I'm feeling... <laughs> You know, quite chuffed about that because you guys were ignoring me for a long while. And, and yet here you are. And you are, yeah, you are I am. Thanks to the ANC, you know. <laughs> the ANC delivers. He <laughs> delivered me to, to Cliff tell, Central. Good story to tell. Yeah. You must have, have had such a busy weekend. Oh, it was incredible. But it's, it's also so fascinating. You know, the, the NC, um, is, is really like no other organization. It's the, it's the ruling party. Um, you know, it's in control of, of, of all government institutions. And yes, yet there's one thing that they consistently never ever get right. And that's accreditation. So. What happens is that they ask you to register weeks in advance, okay. which you do okay. knowing, oh, I'm doing this. This is just, you know, you say exercise is going to be for nothing because we're going to end up standing in queues for hours. Um, and then they do everything manually. So, you know, that, that, that you have to brace for that. And, you know, with 4,000 people there during the heat, heat wave, it is not fun. Um, you know, to, to stand in queues and things, but you know, overall it's worth it because to be there in that space, it's, it's amazing to see the power networks work and, you know, the, the politically powerful moving in their own, you know, amongst their own and, uh, you know, who associates with who and who's chatting with who and, um, you know, the, all, all the behind the scenes lobbying that goes on. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a really, really fascinating time. Yeah, I think it's sometimes hard for outsiders to really gauge the mood because when we read some of the newspaper reports and so on, it sounds like a very sort of critical, internally critical, sort of dialogue heavy occasion. But then you see the pictures and people are just cozying up and there's lots of selfies. I think I saw Gwede Mantashe pouting in a picture. <laughs> No, I mean, there's a lot of exuberance and excitement because it's not very often. I mean, basically every five years, the NC mm. has an elective mm. conference and in between they have the National General Council. So you don't have a gathering of, of that magnitude very often. So, you know, it's everybody getting together. And as you know, you know, when the NC sings, you know, the songs of struggle and things, it's, uh, it can be really moving and, and everybody gets worked up mm. and you, you know, you can't help being to go with the mood, but it, the problem is when the discussions start, yeah. you know, and, um, when they buckle down on it and, and, and that's, that, that's a real problem because there's some very, very controversial uh, decisions mm, that mm. they were, t that they had taken. And on the other hand, you know, you can't help feeling disappointed that the NC is not still getting to grips with some key issues like unemployment and poverty levels in the country. And, and I would say corruption. I just, before we get into that, there was some back and forth just before the conference, if I'm not wrong, about 
about whether the organizational report and the political report would be open to the media. And I'm, and I'm curious as to what is the purpose of bringing this thing and saying this is our stance if it's not going to be open to media. Well, you know, on Thursday, uh, we were all in quite a state because they had uh, a pre-briefing mm. uh, by Gwedeman Tashe. And he says, we are not yet sure whether the political report will be open to the media. The organizational report is definitely not open to the media. Mm. Mm. So when you look at the program that they had just just, just it meant that the, um, that the national anthem and the opening prayer would be the only things open to the media. So, you know, why go through that entire process when the, 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 the things going to be shut down? So when we questioned it, they said, well, you know, the, the president likes to have an intimate discussion with his members and mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, he, when he's open to the public, he's fond of saying, oh, if the media was not here, I'd be saying much more and uh, things like that. So that's why they want this to be an open and frank discussion and therefore they were considering that the media not be there but obviously that was going to cause a massive rebellion and um, you know so I, I don't think the media would have would have accepted that so I think just to um, you know to prevent that mm. kind of headbutting mm. session they, they then decided okay they will open the president's report to the media but the organizational report would still be secret but I must say after the president started delivering the report I realized why they considered keeping it um, a secret Why? Because, Tell us. Well, the, the massive res- revelation mm. in that uh, report was that ANC membership had dropped from 1.2 million members to 768 odd thousand. Now, I've, in all the times I've done political reporting, mm. I've never ever heard any organization admit publicly that they've had a drop in support. People always claim, even COPE, you know, in the, when it's the, at the, in its dying phase, yeah. will claim that its membership is growing. Uh, even Ahang will say we'll its members say. are still there. You know, so for the NC, which is the governing party, to admit that publicly, uh, you know, it, it, I've never, it's unprecedented. So it means that they were trying to ring the alarm bells amongst their members to say, guys, things are going horribly wrong. We need to do something. This, this, um, NGC needs to come up with big decisions and quick decisions. Otherwise, we're going to be losing even more support. So yeah, the, I think that, that would be the, have been the one thing that they, I don't think they would have wanted to, to keep secret. Mm. But you could see by the next day, they realized that, that they were backtracking on it because they realized that maybe it wasn't that good an idea to, to re- reveal it publicly because the NC Deputy Secretary General, Jesse Duarte, then went on a massive spin exercise, you know, going like bouncing around media houses, all, all, all of us camped uh, out there, uh, saying, actually, no, 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 it's a misunderstanding. Uh, you know, this is an unaudited, the, 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 uh, the 760,000 uh, figure is actually just audited figures mm-hmm. as of April. The real figures are over 1.3 million. So actually we've grown. But you could see that that was just a spin exercise. You know, you can't claim people who've fallen off your database. The, the yeah. Lapsed <laughs> members are saying, no, they're still, they're still they're there. Still Don't there. worry. They're still there. I mean, it sounds encouraging, honestly. Um, this, I mean, spin aside, that mm-hmm. organization will stand there and say, listen, guys, our membership has dropped and it spells trouble and we need to, we need to shape up. Yes, well, I mean that, that sounds it's quite an admission. The reflection you, and the yes. being self-critical. It means that they, you know, it wasn't just a whole, um, you know, a going through the motions yeah. exercise. It was, it was, it was a real emergency situation saying th- that thirty percent, thirty-seven percent of our members are no longer 
we can technically call our yeah. our, our members. Mm. So, you know, we have to do something drastic. The, the 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 question to be asked is at the end of this meeting can you uh, can you really say that though all those members who are lapsed would be running back to the ANC now <laughs> that's, I think <laughs> I think that's a tough one Jesse Duarte would say they were there the whole time so we're good you yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's and that also linked to the the topic of corruption which which came up quite a bit uh, other perception there's a lot of talk of a, a corruption or perception of corruption. Yes, and and the president himself yeah. spoke about it. You know that uh, traditionally, what he calls traditional supporters were being turned off the party mm. uh, because of various perceptions, including uh, corruption. But uh, you know, my concern, King, is that the NC seems to have vested all its faith in terms of dealing with corruption and, and, and misconduct by its members in what they call an integrity commission, yeah. which is a good idea because it's, uh, it's an independent body that's going to, to look at any member. And from, mm-hmm. from what, uh, for example, Nomvula Mokanyane told us, these people won't only be making decisions based on the outcome of court cases. So even if somebody is charged, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to call that person in and say, listen, this is a very serious charge. We think you should step down from your, okay. from your position. So anybody who damages the image of the party, that integrity commission is saying, you're interfering with the integrity and the image of the party, please step aside. So it's to do some, some sort of cleanup. The problem with that is that when you look at who the members of this integrity commission are, and you have to feel sorry for them, it's chaired by former Rivonia trialist Andrew Mlangeni, who is 90 years Jeez. old. Jeez. You know, and other members <laughs> like Abed Katrada, who's oh, wow. 86, Dennis Goldberg, who's 82. Gertrude Chopper was 90 also. I mean, these poor people. So that's an average age of about 85 years <laughs> yes. old. The these poor people. Are, you know, they've given so much to the NC, to the country. They've dedicated their lives to struggle. Now in their the golden years, in their retirement, you know, where they should be sitting back in, in the shade yes, somewhere, rocking well on the chair. Yes. Now they've been called back to say, no, investigate these people, throw them out. And, and you know, there's the thing is that you can just imagine somebody was accused and is going to be able to say, but I didn't do this. Or, you know, I, uh, what about the president? He was able to keep his job. What about, you know, so and so, John Block? He was supposed to get, now why must I go? So he's going to be fighting these poor old people. I, and it's their responsibility to clean up the image of the ANC. I mean, I mean, so one, what we have no indication that they are able to police themselves. The ANC is able to police themselves. Yeah, but this is the thing. You see, and two, why do they need to go back to people who are 80, 90 yes, years exactly. old? Are those the only people who they deem? So they're self-admitting that these are the only people with yeah, integrity. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what they say. And, uh, you know, the, the thing is that when you look at the NC and how it operates, you would expect that they have a current n- a national executive committee of 80 members. They have, t- uh, the, you know, what they call the top six, the, N- the NC president, deputy president, secretary general, national chairperson, um, the deputy, uh, and the, the, and the, and the treasurer. Why are they not running the organization? Why are they not acting with integrity? Or why are the provincial secretaries and the provincial chairpersons the ones who are not saying, listen, you are accused, please step aside. Why are they like calling out these poor old people to come out of their retirement and basically act as the great police people over the, the, the ANC? The big question.
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's 117. If you're just joining us, it's the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. You remember, you can tweet us on at DMShowsAday and you can give us a call on 0861-555-89. We're talking about the ANC's National General Council that took place over the weekend. Ranjani is here with us and she was right there on the front lines experiencing the action. And Jenny, something really big that came out and Twitter was, was, you know, on fire with this talk of South Africa potentially withdrawing from the ICC. Well, let me uh, describe to you what is going on. So on Sunday, um, it was the last day of the NGC. And so on Saturday, the, the, the NGC basically broke up into various commissions. On mm, Sunday, they mm. were reporting back to the plenary of the NGC on these commissions. So as the, the plenary approved each commission's report, they then come down to the media center, which is on the other side of Gallagher Estate, and then present to us. So we had nine media briefings back to back. Uh, which was really intense. I mean, you have to sit there and, you know, you, uh, train your mind to pay attention to all this avalanche of information yeah. coming at you. And all of it is important yeah. because all of it has to do with, with basically the running of the, of mm. the country. Mm. So here comes the, um, uh, it was the International Relations Committee by, uh, for, uh, so it, the people who were presenting to us was, uh, the foreign, the International Relations Minister, Maitin Kwana Mashabane and the, co- chairperson of the International Relations Committee, which is Obed Papela. So they start, you know, talking, you sit there, you start taking notes, and then suddenly um, Papela says, oh, yeah, the one thing you may be interested in is that <laughs> the NC has decided that we're going to withdraw from the International Cr- Criminal Court. By the way. And you basically see, like, <laughs> you know, 50 journalists, like, simultaneously just go, wow. <laughs> You can't even type fast enough. You know, like people are running out to do like yeah. quick um, radio broadcasts. Like it's a major breaking story. Yeah. Um, you know, South Africa was was there at the inception of yes. the of the ICC. Um, it was it we were it was really one of the platforms where we could say we had the moral high ground. Uh, you know, the, the, being there at the, uh, at the inception and trying to protect human rights throughout the world. Um, and this decision. Is ba- has basically been prompted by uh, the the ICC's uh, uh, issuing of a warrant of arrest for the Sudanese president Omar al Bashir, but uh, the NC's reasoning is that the the court uh, operates unfairly. It it, it targets uh, African leaders. Uh, basically, the the world powers can't be bothered to even be members, let alone um, abide by the by the rulings of the court. So you know why should the rest of the world uh, pay attention? The thing is that I think South Africa and the ANC would have maintained the moral high ground if they had said that on principle. Mm. The problem is that this whole controversy was prompted by a war criminal basically cruising into our country and then leaving in our, our country in violation of 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 a of a, a, a ICC uh, warrant and a yeah, domestic a court law, order. Yes. yes. So you know the, the, that's the problem because now it looks as if uh, this is a way to be able to get out of this legal conundrum that the that the South African uh, government finds it. So the, the the thing is, okay, so the NC wants to, it, it can't just immediately mm. withdraw the processes that it needs I to mean, go I would through. because the NC and the state are separate, so yes. it will take some time and go through parliament. Yes, it will have and, to go through parliament. Yeah. It, it will have to be approved by the National Assembly, National Council of Provinces. Uh, but in the meantime, that does not exonerate the South African government from the fix it is in now. Where it is in violation of of a of a high court order, and that the warrant 
you know, it violated the, the ICC warrant. So it has to respond to these two things still. So whatever the ANC decides and what, what this decision, and it is a dramatic decision. It doesn't release the, the, the government from, from the, uh, what, what, what has already happened now. I think what really bugs me is just that this often goes in hand with the argument that the ICC only prosecutes Africans and that it's, it's designed to oppress Africa. And people always forget that countries often nominate or, or take their own presidents to these places. Yes, that's true. Or have a chance. Like I remember Kenya had a window and it was like, okay, please self-prosecute. You have this much time. Kofi Annan came, everybody shook hands. At the end, it's like, did you prosecute? No. Then you must go to the ICC. And, and then you, later you pretend to be a victim. And, and, and the ACC is basically saying that it's, it's, it's following the lead of the African continent because the AU is going through the same process. There's consideration throughout the province that, I mean, throughout the, the continent that, that there could be a withdrawal. Um, but the thing is that Africa doesn't have an alternate platform at the moment. They, they're supposed to have a, a, an African court of justice mm. that will perform the same function of, of prosecuting war criminals, protecting the violations of human rights but they don't have that at the moment and so um and, and so you're going to have a vacuum unless they pull up their socks and have this in place quickly you know that that means that they, they won't they wouldn't be justice and and any kind of uh a process for for victims of human rights violations to to resort to i mean it's definitely a long way before we have the court set up it's possible it takes a while and it needs to be funded by somebody the yes. ICC is funded by the EU, and some somebody will have to step up and actually fund yes, the court. Yes, exactly. Which is not a which is not a cheap endeavor. No, it's not. And then imagine African presidents holding each other to account. <laughs> and prosecution. That will be fun to watch. And Jenny, something else that came out of this was this talk of a media tribunal. Oh yes, that was a was another shock. I mean, so, there's been antagonism between the ANC and the media for a while, and yes. you've been caught up in that once, once or twice. <laughs> So tell us about the media tribunal, what's going okay, on. Okay, so this uh, basically came about in uh, from the ANC's Polokwane conference in 2007. That's when it was first mooted. And obviously the, you know, the media were like shrieked about this and, and tried to, uh, to fight it off. And since then, there have been various processes to show that, the, you know, the, the, the other me- methods of, um, account, of uh, the, holding the media to account, mm, such as mm. self-regulation and co-regulation, um, you know, and, uh, and the media has been uh, trying to beef up mechanisms that are there already to ensure um, accuracy and fairness and things like that uh, in reporting, but um, you know this didn't make much headway at the at the 2012 conference. It kind of fell off the agenda there, but it's you know front and center again. It was presented to uh, presented to us via um, uh, one of the ministers who was also uh, on the ANC's communications committee, Lindy Zulu. So again, it was another bombshell. There we were merrily typing, By and the then way. it says yes. Um, <laughs> There was a strong feeling in the NGC that um, the Media Appeals Tribunal, uh, you know, should be placed back back on the agenda, and that Parliament should investigate the feasibility and desirability. So again, you know, you find like the entire media contingent wanting to shriek in horror, um, because the, the thing is, the shocking thing about this mm. is what she said immediately after announcing this. Yeah. She says that uh, they are. There's a lot of negativity in the media. And hopefully this media appeals tribunal will deal with that. Now, Kingsley, 
The Media Appeals Tribunal is there to deal with people who have grievances. So if there is inaccurate reports, yeah. um, there were things that are not factually correct, mm. the media doesn't want to retract it. So mm. that means that, the, that an ordinary person or ordinary politician then has a platform to go and take this thing up. It is not there to deal with negativity in the media. So if you don't like the Daily Maverick, for example, and feel, oh, we're being too critical of President Jacobs, I mean, you can't just go there to a media appeals tribunal and say, yes, you have to be more positive in your reporting. That's not how it works. But it, there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding from the ANC, even about this, its own platform it wants to introduce. The ANC genuinely believes that it can sway uh, this you know, tsunami of negative uh, reporting about the ANC through this draconian measure. Instead of saying, let's look at what's causing mm. the negative reporting. Mm. Let's deal with that. But they're not saying that. Yeah, I, I really worry about that. <laughs> so it's like the press is too negative. Let's set up a body that basically yeah, can punish them. punishes them for being negative yes. and you know, put in more good news stories yes. like this by force. So basically we'll have the Shlaudi Matsuneng formula of having 70% good news. <laughs> and if you stray from that formula, then you get hauled before the media appeals tribunal. Jeez. And, you know, the, the, there's that on one hand. Yep. And then there's the protection of state information bill. Uh, which is still hovering above us. So with, with, with that, that uh, bill has basically gone through a parliament. It's been approved. It's sitting on the president's desk for about two years waiting for his signature. So it's another axe hanging over the media because with that legislation, journalists can be jailed. And you can see that like what's happening in other parts of the world, like in, like in Turkey at the moment, you know, where d- d- uh, editors are just uh, arrested. You, uh, the, 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 there's an editor in chief of the of the main English newspaper in in Turkey at the mm-hmm. moment who has been jailed for tweets. So you know you worry whether South Africa is heading that way. You know with these with these two things now hovering above us, we don't know when the president can decide. Hmm, where's that document I lost on my desk? Let me pick it up and like just put it because that's all it's going to take for him to sign it, and then it's in, it's law. Jeez, I wonder how many twelves just drop their iPhones when you when you mention going to jail for tweets. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just before one thirty, it's one twenty seven, and you're in the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. We're talking to Ranjani Munusami, who was on site at the ANC National General Council uh over the weekend, and it's just basically talking us through the big, big talking points. And Jenny Eats Alls is always a big one. And there's been a bit of a clash between how Tang's policy or how Tang's approach the ANC Youth League's approach uh, and the national sort of approach. Is this something that played out over the weekend? Yes, well, I was lucky to have an interview with the ANC Provincial Chairperson, uh, Paul Mashatile, mm. earlier in the week, last mm. week, uh, ahead of the NGC. And he basically threw down the gauntlet, which he said that the Gauteng province yep. uh, still did not believe that uh, the 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 compromise position negotiated by the deputy president Sir Ramaphosa, mm. uh, you know that they that they approved of it. So it it, it they, they still had serious reservations about it, and they 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 said that they they do not approve of the system of e tolls in its current form. 
Now you must know that that system was negotiated, or, or it came about um, following the um, the investigation by the Gauteng Premier David Makura, and that the, the report of that uh, that investigation was then uh, processed by the national uh, government, and they came up with a set of compromise positions. Mm. But that hasn't been implemented yet, so I don't know. I don't pay it all, so I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but when when I don't know what happens when you drive under it, whether that purple thing can read whether it must. Go Go under the discounted rate or, or if the bills come out under the discounted, but apparently it's not. So halting when they're saying, listen, something else needs to happen because this is, this is mm. not working mm. out, guys. And uh, so the, the end result was um, uh, that it was gonna, it's going to stay, that the, the user principle, uh, the user pay user principle, principle has to stay, that um, the, the big problem is that the Department of Transport hasn't implemented this compromise package, so people haven't felt the effect of it, and that is why people are still aggrieved mm. about it, um, and that further investigation needs to be done. What this says is, if you're not paying ETOS, don't pay it. <laughs> I'm sorry to In be broke. So you yeah. yeah, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, because clearly, you know, the the nobody knows what's going on. In the ANC or the government, uh, nobody knows who's supposed to pay what. What's supposed to be? Because previously, at at the gathering, for example. Yeah. Paul Mashatile said there that all people who, who, who are in debt at the moment, mm. who have this tons of e-toll, yeah. unpaid e-toll bills, uh, we need to check what happens to that. Absolutely. And so, it's supposed to be a maximum. You must not pay yes, more than exactly. X amount every month. So, you know, it's, it's all up in the air. So. I mean, I, I'm definitely not going to go and, you know, go and take a loan to go and settle all my unpaid e-toll bills. Well, luckily, you know, you know, the, you know, the premier personally, so I suppose that helps. <laughs> no, I don't think, I don't think if you get arrested that you, you can, can call yeah, you can call him and say, please can bail me out. I need a solid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just after 1.30. Um, please, please tweet us on RDM shows that day. I'm loving the interaction on there. Now, Ranjani, I want to ask about, of course, the big question, which is succession. So going into it, there were lots of rumors. Is Gwede Montashe going to be the deputy? Um, is Susanna Laminezuma going to be the president? What's going on? There was so much chatter going into the, into the, the council, but also insisting that the, the purpose of the council is not to discuss succession. Yes. So is there still backroom chatter? Did people just say forget it and still talk about succession anyway? What came well, out there was it? a lot of backroom chatter. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, one very interesting thing happened, uh, during the NGC is that mm. President Zuma was on a walkabout in, 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 in the precincts, you know, just checking on everyone, saying hi to that everyone. Nice. So he came cruising past the, the media center. So one journalist then asked him, uh, so President Zuma, will you, do you think, um, you'd be, uh, running for a third term? Because, um, so some of the NC structures, um, are considering nominating you for a third term. And he responded, responded saying, never ever, even if they beg me, I won't stand. <laughs> um, which is quite definitive language. It's yeah. not like saying, um, yeah, maybe, you know, I think about it. It's, I it respect like, the wishes of the yes, party, which yes, is always a good which, one. Which is, yeah. this is, it's very different to yeah. say never ever. However. Yeah, well. There is a camp, as you know, called the Premier League in uh, in the NC, which he has, uh, you know, not made no bones about the fact that they want President Zuma to stay on for at least another two years mm. more as NC president. So his term of office comes to an end in 2017. So they want him to stay on till at least 2019. So he hasn't said no to that. He has said no 
to running for third term as, as NC leader. But the other thing is that every NC leader that you know of from Mandela onwards always says, I'll follow the will of the NC. Mm. So if things fall apart completely and, they, and, and, and nobody wants to stand, for example, President Zuma would, would, would then stand. But what we do know is that the two front runners, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma and Cyril Ramaphosa. Now, Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma has been very, very present and vocal in South Africa recently. So she appears to be wanting the job and she appears to be trying to warm up her constituencies mm-hmm. to the possibility. Yeah, you wouldn't even know she's based in Addis. I feel yes, like she's, she's here, here all, all the time. time. <laughs> yes. And she had quite a, you know, quite a presence on the stage at the, at the NGC as well. It's difficult not to notice her, mm. you know, and she's very presidential in the way she carries herself already. And then there's poor Cyril Ramaphosa. Why poor? You, you have to feel a lot of sorry things, but not someone I mean, that you should feel no, sorry yeah, for. No, yeah, I suppose that's the wrong way <laughs> to, to describe Cyril Ramaphosa, but you have to feel sorry for him. What? You know, he's so boxed in at the moment. He can't be seen to be campaigning. He can't say a single word that shows that he's interested mm. in, in life after being deputy president. All he does is praise President Zuma for his leadership. He doesn't have a constituency. So nobody has basically said so far, we want Sir Ramaphosa, mm. but you've had a lot of people saying, we want Nkosasana Lamini Zuma. So he's not able to respond to this. He's not able to campaign. So yeah. For for now, I think we can refer to him as poor Sir Ramaphosa. <laughs> I mean, the Women's League has made no apologies about sort of openly yes. saying what they're going for, which I like. I like yeah, yeah, yeah. They, just, they've, but happening. but they haven't they haven't said that they're backing her. They've said they want a woman president, but she appears to be the front runner. I really like that. Like, I mean, the the Women's League has been accused of just being a non-entity for so long. Yes, and I'm exactly. Excited that yeah, out there front I know. And center and they're being sort of yeah, yeah. open about what they want. You know? No, no, no. The, they 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 definitely have have grown up in the last few months. <laughs> grown up. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> and making the presence felt. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one thirty-five. You're tuned to the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. We're going to go into a really, really quick break. And we'll be back talking about the traditional and Khoisan leadership bill. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show. Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're back with me, Kingsley Kipuri, on the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. We've been talking about the ANC National General Council that took place over the weekend. We're going to switch topics quickly and talk about the traditional and Khoisan leadership bill that was put before a parliamentary commission um, last week. We'll be talking to Aninka Klaassen, chief researcher at the Center for Law and Society at UCT. Aninka, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm fine. How are you doing? Fantastic. Now, Ninka, you have a long, long career in working on matters of, of, of land rights and especially in rural communities. So I'd love if you could just give us some, some context about this traditional and Khoisan leadership bill. What is it about? Give us some context and, and why does it matter? It matters because it basically locks 18 million people, that's the number of people living in the former Bantustans, into the kind of tribal identities that were superimposed during apartheid by the Bantu Authorities Act. Mm. And that's very serious given the big mining boom that we are seeing and the irony that just about all the platinum is in the former Bukudetswana, former Laboa, uh, and the massive amounts of, of um, coal and iron ore are in the former KwaZulu and the former Kangwani. And basically this bill um, superimposes the tribal boundaries of old the traditional leaders recognized during apartheid, and gives them completely unaccountable power over people living in those areas where the mining is taking place. 
I mean, I mean, you mentioned the the one side, which people are saying that it just further entrenches the sort of the apartheid style geography in the sort of Bantustan era. But on the other hand, some people are saying that, listen, these some of these traditional authorities are there and these monarchies, and that sort of it's important to to reflect this and acknowledge that 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 these lines and these and these cultures are important and should have a role in, in the legal framework. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, I'm sure that they are important in many areas and they are legitimate in many areas. But what this bill does is it it completely cuts across the idea of customary law as a consensual system of chiefs' powers deriving from the people, which, you know, all the proverbs, Nkosi, Nkosi, Nabantu, or Morena, Kimorena, Kabatu, all the proverbs say that chiefs' power derives from the support that people give them. And... This bill does the opposite. It, it gives chiefs jurisdiction over people who, who were put under them during apartheid. And, you know, any, any, any traditional leader who is legitimate doesn't need that kind of power because his power will come from the people and the support that they provide. But what this bill does is mm. it destroys all the community authorities that were created during apartheid because... Even the apartheid government had to recognize that many African people purchased land before the 1913 Act or through exemptions from it, that there were different forms of, of social organization. And in, in many instances, people had communal systems without chiefs. This bill ignores that history, and it says that every person uh, in those boundaries is the subject of one or other traditional leader, uh, not according to their choice, but according to the apartheid boundaries. And then it gives them powers which, and, and at no point does it require that they consult the people who are bound by the decisions that they make on their behalf. And that too is completely opposed to customary law. Customary law provides for all sorts of inclusive decision-making processes. And you have never given a chief the right to unilaterally enter into a mining deal with a company and refuse to provide any kind of accounting to the people whose land is being ripped up by that mining. Um, I love that you brought up the mining deals. I mean, you've, you've written and argued that, one, not only are these, a lot of these traditional councils not valid and not complying by the rules, but also you mentioned some communities where a lot of communities are reacting to some of these misdeeds and misrepresentation by traditional leaders. Yes, because basically... You've had a string of court judgments by traditional leaders who have suppressed people's um, opposition to these mining deals. They've said that people have no right to call meetings. They've interdicted people from calling meetings. They've said that even the people whose land is directly affected have no legal standing to challenge their decisions. And what we've discovered recently is that in Northwest, where you have 102 uh, so-called traditional councils, None of their tribal books of account have been audited since 1994. Now, that is the place where you've had this massive platinum boom on communally owned land, and there has been no accounting of the profits. And people who go to court to try and get their books of account uh, audited to find out what's happening to these mining profits are told they have no legal standing and they're hit with punitive costs orders. And so you've seen these outbreaks where people have gone and they've burnt down the houses of traditional leaders out of frustration that there is no mechanism to hold these traditional leaders accountable, and yet they get this official recognition, and they interpret that to mean that they are the only people who can make decisions that affect 
people's lives. And in, in many instances in Northwest, people had bought that land. They were forced under tribes because there was something called the Six Native Rule that said that no group of more than six land buyers could uh, purchase land as a, as a syndicate or land buying group except if they're affiliated with the tribe. Now, those traditional leaders that they were forced to affiliate with in order to buy the land are making decisions about land that they purchased and refusing to account for any of the, the, the profits. And this bill enables that to continue. And, you know, I mean, I think that it's, it's a very, very cynical piece of legislation because it replaces, it, it attempts to replace the law that was put in place in 2003, the Traditional Leadership and Governance Framework Act. And that law, you know, had a, lot of, a, a long preamble about transformation, democracy. It said that all of these structures must have elections for 40% of their members. And those elections just have been a shambles. There hasn't been one election in Limpopo, 11 years later. So all of those tribal councils are not validly constituted, yet government continues to pay salaries, continues to bolster their authority to make these unilateral decisions. And now, instead of going and reforming that situation by ensuring that elections are held, it repeals that law and replaces it with another one which provides no kind of um, punishment or disincentive if people fail to hold elections. Anika, um, do you think that it also, um, in a way, creates a, a parallel justice system? Um, you know, I've heard, for example, in the case of King Dalindiebo, where um, some of the people who are defending him were saying that, um, you know, decisions are made uh, by the tribal authorities or the traditional authorities. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the people who, who are the, basically the subjects of the king have to abide by those authorities' decisions rather than what South African law says. Well, government tried to enact just such a law with the traditional court bill, and that law would have given uh, officially recognized leaders like Dalindiebo the power to enforce any sanction that they like as long as they said it conformed with customary law. The bill was clearly unconstitutional, and it was rejected by Parliament. I mean, it's the first time that a ANC-sponsored piece of legislation has been rejected by Parliament. Because people said it provided for a completely parallel, two different parallel legal systems within South Africa. And once you've got two parallel legal systems, you've got completely unequal citizenship. In terms of that bill, Dalindiebo would have been able to argue that he was acting in terms of customary law. Those arguments wouldn't have succeeded because there are a whole lot of um, provisions in the Constitution that make customary law subject to the Bill of Rights and provide for, you know, the right to legal representation uh, for people charged with criminal matters. But it is, it is absolutely extraordinary that the former head of Contralesa, Kosi uh, Patekile Holomisa, is saying that what Dalindiebo did is an expression of the African way of life. Because what he did was burn down people's houses, deliver the dead body of his son to a father whom he then fined a whole lot of cattle uh, and participate in in attacking people and this is what this is what the traditional courts bill would have been allowed if, uh, would have would have tried to allow and um, and he's coming out very strongly controllers coming out very strongly to say that they're going to push that line of argument at the moment there is no prospect of success 
but the traditional courts bill, had it been passed into law, would have made this a much more difficult case to 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 prove and to fight. I mean, I think I suppose the big question then is what what do we actually need in a legislative sense? We don't want to trust, dismiss traditional leadership altogether. We want to make sure that sort of the the poorest of the poor in rural areas are actually being represented accurately. And it sounds like this bill isn't that. So what, what, what would you recommend that we actually need? Well, we have to go back to the nature of customary law. And the nature of customary law is a consensual system that people opt into and support because it provides uh, institutions and, um, um, you know, things that they, that they trust and that they believe in. So what we're saying is customary law needs to be recognized as an opt-in system. Um, and then your courts would be lawful because they would be presiding over people who'd opted into them. Uh, and basically the current legislation locks people into these tribal boundaries and prohibits them from opting out. So all we need to do is turn that around and say where these structures are legitimate, where people want to use them, uh, where they do use them, they should have binding authority over those people, not over the land, not over the, the, the geography created by apartheid, which separated, um, you know, white from black South Africa. I mean, it's deeply ironic to take that as a measure of where customary law applies, because customary law must apply across South Africa, and we recognize as a family-based system, not just a system that's... Um, that props up uh, autocratic forms of chiefly power. Okay, Anika, we hear you. I really hope that's something we can move move towards. Anika, thank you so much for making time, and please keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you. It's 1.48 p.m., uh, just going into the last sort of portion of the show, and we're talking about the traditional and Khoisan leadership bill. We just spoke with Anika Klaassen, Chief Researcher at UCT uh, Center for Law and Society. Next, we'll be chatting to Colin Hobani, uh, the High Commissioner of the Khoisan Kingdom. Colin, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Fantastic. Colin, I know we kept you on hold a bit. Thank you so much. Now, Colin, I suppose first big question is, could you tell us about the Khoisan Kingdom and your role as High Commissioner? Well, I'm uh, High Commissioner, actually, and a um, glorified uh, Secretary <laughs> General. I'm responsible for administrative stuff and basically... Uh, performing the role that the company secretary would perform. Uh, the Poison Kingdom is um, um, a, a cultural organization uh, consisting of of uh, members of the Poison community. We we decided to change the structure about six years ago to incorporate uh, all all of the the five groups and other groups of. The king of of the Khoisan people, you know the the bow and after some uh, um, research done uh, uh, in '93, um, the, the 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 National Khoisan Council uh, came up with uh, five main Khoisan groups: uh, the Busman, Korana, Krikwa, uh, Cape Koi, and the um, Ah, I'm missing one. Um, so it's the Busman, the Korana, the Cape Koi, and um, I'll, I'll get. I'll get. Call it don't worry about it. I'm sure you can. Yes, you uh, can tweet it yeah. once you remember. So yes, suppose, yes. Yeah, I mean, our big question is really as we talk about the 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 traditional and Khoisan leadership bill. There's a lot of questions around how traditional authorities 
um, should yeah. should interact with the sort of regular, for lack of a better word, Roman Dutch law. And I'm interested, what are your thoughts on some of the conversations happening and being put before Parliament right now? Okay, and just uh, a passing comment on the traditional um, um, law, the, the legal bill that, that you just discussed. Um, we, we are still gaining uh, a, a legal opinion on, on the bill because last time when it was removed from, from, from Parliament, we, we, we basically stopped all of those uh, consultations. Just the Khoisan Kingdom feels that um, um, we are a little bit concerned with some of the intentions of the, of the traditional courts bill um, insofar as we, we do not want to see where serious crime occur in our communities and especially in far-flung areas. That that must prevent community members from approaching the courts and having elders and people sorting out uh, serious cases like like rape, like abuse, and all those those issues. So, but we are consulting still on on the on the uh, traditional courts bill. Um, on the on the uh, the, Khoisan, the traditional and Khoisan uh, leadership bill uh, that's currently also uh, before Parliament. Um, we we feel that it is a good start. Uh, mm-hmm. We are absolutely not uh, in total agreement with a lot of the provisions in the bill. Um, there are a lot of Khoisan leaders that feel that uh, uh, the Khoisan people or some of the Khoisan, their own group shouldn't even support the bill. Uh, at this stage, it's neither, neither here nor there because it looks like it's going to be approved. Um, but we, we definitely feel that it is a good start because since the dawn of democracy, the Khoisan leaders have been left out of any meaningful uh, 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 leadership role in society. Now, this bill is not exactly doing what we want as a first prize, but what it's doing secondary is it provides for the recognition of at least the leaders of the Khoisan people. And, and, and we think that is important uh, the other issues like... I'm sorry, Colin, if I can just jump in on a quick yes. question there. Yes. You said it provides for the leadership of the Khoisan people, which is a start. But, I mean, yes. we're talking, and part of the issues of the recognition of traditional courts is this issue that there becomes a, div- a sort of a divide between the leadership and the people they claim to represent, and where the leaders start acting out of interest and try to enrich themselves. Is that a worry that, that you have um, at the Khoisan kingdom? Listen, we, as, as I say, we, we are discussing a whole lot of how, how these, how these will, will influ- impact on each other, um, uh, the, the traditional uh, courts, but were you, were you talking about that? Um, in, in terms of the traditional leader, leadership, we, um, um, you know, leadership is, 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 is a very powerful uh, issue in, in, in your community, especially in your rural areas. And um, that that has that is recognised to a very large uh, extent. What what we are what we are saying that now this bill what it provides is that where those those people that have performed all these leadership roles, traditional roles, that has uh, 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 performed the traditional ceremonies, at least from the Khoisan side, um, uh, that is. Not the black uh, uh, side of, of our societies that has been recognised in, in in various re- legislation previously, or currently it will be repealed by this bill. But now, bringing the the Khoisan leadership into that mainstream, 
we are saying that that is the start. That is that is that is where we we, we see the positive in, in this whole in this whole uh, 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 affairs. So it's 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 definitely not going to solve any leadership issues you may have mm. or any issues the one bill will have uh, uh, talking to the other bill or not for that matter. But what it will do, it will record. It will it will it will. Bluntly saying, it will take our leaders and put it, them on the table. Because currently, Khoisan leaders are nowhere at any table in South Africa. We, we are talking, we are screaming our mouths off, we are doing whatever we do. Um, um, what what I can say is that at least this administration has seen it for, to accelerate that process. All the other issues, all the other issues are not off the table. Um, and we will definitely continue to fight for those. I hear you. We're talking to Colin yes. Hobani, High Commissioner of the Khoisan Kingdom. Colin, thank you for making time. You're welcome. Fantastic. We're just wrapping up the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Thanks for tuning in. Ranjani, thank you so much for making time. My pleasure. It was great to be here. Hopefully to have you soon and not bef- and before the next NGC, I hope. <laughs> No, the next NDC I think is in uh, 2021. Okay. So it may be some so time yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you all for listening. Remember, you can find the podcast. You can listen in on the app. Please share the content, and we'll see you next week, same time, same place. The Daily Maverick Show on CliffCentral.com.